through his church. This is going to be our seventh Sunday, journeying through Romans chapters 9 through 11. And yet, we've only scratched the surface of all there is to mine from these chapters. Nevertheless, we'll wrap up chapter 11 today, and we'll make the shift next week in this letter as we turn a corner uh, next Sunday, uh, opening up Romans chapter 12. But as for this part of Romans, we get some pretty encouraging information for us today about God's faithfulness to his people. Again, if you haven't been here um, for the last few weeks, I'll just inform you. The Apostle Paul in this letter, he is writing to the church in Rome, and he's answering in chapters 9 through 11 why so many Gentiles are coming to the faith in Christ, seeing him as Messiah, while most Jews are not coming to the faith. When it was the Jews who were actually primed to receive Jesus as the Messiah, yet they seem to be rejecting him in droves. And so this kind of makes you wonder about God and his plan and his power. Is God a liar? Is God weak? Has he rejected his people that he has made so many promises to? Has he forgotten about his promises to his people? Again, we're going to read Romans chapter 11 where he answers these questions and more. Uh, we're reading, purposely, we're reading large sections of these passages because you need the large section to get the proper context. If you just dive into one verse or just a few verses even sometimes, you can come out with some pretty wonky understandings about God. Okay, so we're going to be reading all of Romans chapter 11. Sit back, relax, enjoy the sound of God's word being read to you, all right? Paul writes this. I ask then... Did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. 
For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not perish in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, How much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced the hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who are at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so uh, so that he may have mercy on them all. And then he kind of concludes. He's wrapping up chapters 9 through 11 with this great kind of summary spot to be in as as the people of God. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What did we just read? I don't know about you, but when I read this chapter, I, read a, I get a huge dose of encouragement. Especially to those of us maybe whose heart breaks for those in our world who have a hard heart towards Jesus. Do you have a loved one in your life who rejects Jesus? Perhaps you have a prodigal son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter or a niece or a nephew or a cousin or a neighbor. Or maybe your heart breaks for a certain demographic in society whose lives would be forever changed if only they would put their faith and hope in Jesus. 
Do you know anyone like that? Does your heart break for anyone like that? If only they would just soften their heart to God. Everything about their life would change for the better. It'd be incredible, and you can see it. You you can envision it, and yet their heart is so hard towards God. Or maybe you see all that is going on in our world today, in Israel, in Palestine, in Russia, Ukraine. I just, we just mentioned about all the things that are happening in Iran, uh, not to mention Nigeria, and countless other places in our world that will break your heart. And you just think, oh, if only both sides would come to faith in Christ. They could have peace in their hearts and peace with their enemy, those they oppose. They would be laying down arms. And instead, they would be extending hugs and sharing meals with their new brothers and sisters in Christ. No more death and poverty and destruction. No more war. What we just read in Romans chapter 11 is a master class by Paul in showing the Israel of today how in their sacred text, the Torah, or our Old Testament in our Bible, points to all that is happening in Paul's day right through to today. In fact, it should not surprise the most careful student of the Old Testament that the Jews, that Israelites, would reject Jesus as the Messiah. It was there all along, and Paul quotes the Old Testament to prove his case. In fact, God foretold that he would use Israel's rejection of the gospel as a way, as a means by which more and more Gentiles would come to faith. And that this would eventually lead Israel to becoming jealous or envious of the Gentiles who are now worshiping their Messiah. Furthermore, Paul uses the illustration of pruning and grafting of an olive tree as a way to help describe this dynamic of how just because someone has a hard heart today doesn't mean that they'll always have a hard heart. In fact, God knows all of this in advance. And more than just knowing of it in advance, He is always working in the affairs of humanity, in our comings and our goings, in our relationships, in the world events, and all of the things. He is sovereign over all, and He is working in and through everyone at a personal, regional, national, global level. He is working on His plan of redemption for those who will receive Him as Savior. God knows all of this in advance, and he is working his hand and his plan of salvation. So do not lose heart if you can't see it right now, or you aren't seeing it right now. Do not lose heart if someone has rejected Jesus. If someone has walked away from the faith, they are not beyond salvation. In fact, if they are breathing... God has not written them off. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? He is more aware. He is more concerned. He is more engaged, more desiring than even you to see the hardest of hearts come to faith in Him. 
And yet this chapter also tells us that not everyone will come to faith in Christ. God pursues us. He works in us, around us, and desires that all may come to faith. And into seeing hard-hearted people receive the good news of Jesus, but not all. Some will not receive Jesus because of, we read, unbelief. That's all it takes. Belief in Christ, and you will be saved. This, by the way, this decision, this part, like we said last week, it's, it's by God's grace that we are saved, but he also asks us to step into it, to take that, make that decision of faith. That decision of faith and belief that we put in Jesus as our Savior, it is not to lead us to a place of conceit or of arrogance or of an attitude of pride or of better than someone else either. Rather, to increase a watchfulness of our own faith, we read in our text today, and then to work with God in seeing hard-hearted people receive the good news of Jesus. Perhaps today you've demonized Palestinian people. Perhaps today you've demonized Israelite people. Maybe you see them as the enemy rather than victims of the enemy. Maybe you see them as people who are hard-hearted, deceived, but yet they need Jesus. Perhaps you have a worldview where Israel is to build a third temple and maintain its state so as to bring about end times And as a result, today you are more concerned about political Israel than spiritual Israel. More concerned about working and aiding towards end times than working and aiding towards your enemies being saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have a belief that God has a different plan of salvation for Jews than Gentiles all the while reading and ignoring all of the beauty that we just read in this one chapter alone, where we read and we see in Scripture that it teaches that Jews and Gentiles are in fact saved and grafted into the exact same tree. Palestinians who confess Jesus as their Savior are grafted into the same tree as their Jewish brothers and sisters. We read in Isaiah 11, it is the root of Jesse, the Davidic line who birthed the King Christ as our universal and eternal King, offering himself as a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. May we never forget the all-sufficient, once and for all, sacrifice of Christ who gave up himself on the cross his body and his blood as a gift of his mercy and grace to any and all who believe. Jesus died for Jews. He died for Gentiles. He died for Israelites. He died for Palestinians. He died for Ukrainians. He died for Russians. He died for Muslim Iranians. He died for conservative Christians. And guess what, folks? He died for liberal Canadians. He is the way, 
the truth, and the life. May we never become so proud or so blind or so hard-hearted ourselves towards even our enemy or those people that vote different or look different or uh, uh, have an agenda that is so opposite to what we believe is good and right and true that we can't see them as a future brother and sister in Christ. And that the work of the church here today is to seek and to save the lost, to lay down our lives even for our enemy in love for them, just as Christ did for us. May we never let his mercy on our lives become grounds for arrogance in how we view people who have rejected Jesus. Grounds to render a judgment on their potential and their future as though we might know and claim to know the mind of God, the heart of God for this person's salvation and where they might be a day from now, let alone a year or a decade from now. May we never let his mercy in us become grounds for, as grounds, I guess, of judgment that God has not made yet that judgment. If they are still breathing, God still is working on them and has a plan for them. He is working in them. He is working with them. And so should we. In fact, God is so good and so great that he can use those that are opposed to him for incredible gospel results. Today, we participate in an activity whereby we remember the mercy of Jesus given to us. Paul actually writes in this same letter back in Romans chapter 5, he says this, while we were enemies, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Did you know that at one point in time, God looked upon you like his enemy? And what did he do with his enemy? Did he smash it to smithereens? Did he write you off? No, he laid down his life for you. Broke his body and shed his blood for you. That is the way of Christ. That is how Christ engages and treats his enemies. And so today we're going to be reminded of that in a very tangible way. It is in the receiving of the body and the blood of Christ that we see how God deals with those who have hard hearts, those that have wronged us, those who have rejected him. And this activity of communion, is what we call it, is designed to humble us before God and others. It is designed to recalibrate our attitude and our actions towards our enemies. And it is designed to render us grateful for the death of our Lord who gave up his life in our place that we might live and that we might find the means to die to self in love for God and in love for others. That we might find the means by which we can persevere in prayer and in kindness and with the gospel in our mind and in our hearts and strengthening our hands to share and live Christ with one another. To share and live Christ in our marriages as husbands and wives 
figuring out how to receive and extend the mercy of God to one another as parents and to our children, to our neighbors who might be a jerk, to our in-laws who might be a jerk, to our co-workers or our boss or employees that might be jerks. The death of Christ and receiving his mercy in and through his death, it changes everything about how we see and relate to those that oppose us or are different from us or that are our very enemy. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. Also, the ushers can come up. They're going to distribute the elements as a cracker and a little cup of, uh, of grape juice. And we're going to distribute the elements. But I'm going to invite you to hold on to the elements as the music team sings this song. And then after the song, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to lead us in unison of receiving these elements together. But more than anything, as we receive these elements today, I pray that we would allow Christ, His light, to shine into our hearts and to expose where there is any part of our hearts that are hardened either to God or to others. And we might allow our hearts to be softened by Him in view of His cross, that our hearts might begin to live and breathe unto others as He has done unto us. So let us receive the elements together. We'll sing this song from where you're seated, and then I'll come back up and lead us in receiving these elements. Father's arms are open wide. 
Let's pray first. Lord, you are our Lord. In you and you alone, we put all our hope and our trust. And this morning, yet once again, we ask you to forgive us of all our sins. In light of your mercy and in your righteousness, we repent of any sinful way within us. We recognize here today that your way is the way, the truth, and the life, and we are the ones that need to change. And so, Lord, today we invite you to renew our minds, renew our heart, renew our spirit, that we might agree with you in every thought, in every motive, in every plan and action, in every relationship. Lord, you are the standard of perfection, and we are the ones that need to change. Today we rest and we live in your mercy and grace. Strengthen us, Lord, in the work that you have finished for us on the cross, and the victory that we have received personally, and the victory that is now leveraged into the way that we live our lives and live out our lives with one another. As husbands and wives, as children, as parents, as neighbors, co-workers, classmates, may we live out today that which we hold in our hands today, that by your broken body and your shed blood, we are made whole and we are forgiven. Help us to treat others in the way that you have treated us. In your name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul writes, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us receive his body together today. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us receive his blood shed for us. Lord, we gather here today, nearly 2,000 years after you actually gave up your physical body unto death in our place. Lord, help this body, your body called the church, and help our body with everything that we are, our mind, our heart, our spirit, our soul, our flesh, to live in light of you and to live for you, to live the way that you lived for us and gave yourself up for us. Help us today. Help us this week because it's not easy. Strengthen us by your spirit. Give us your mind and your heart for you and for others. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, you are dismissed. If you'd like prayer for anything, 